0: role within the community foundation is as director of peace building in and communities and, and have responsibility for uh, three uh, out of the five strategy areas within the foundation but the main area that I would lead is trying to ensure that the communities in Northern Ireland are able to thrive um, after the conflict um, and at the moment we're certainly being put to the test uh, with the repercussions of the the decision to leave the European Union and the Northern Ireland protocol are really kind of coming to bear within uh, loyalist communities, uh, in particular within Northern Ireland. And so the need for for support and for intervention has never really been more important. Um, The Community Foundation for Northern Ireland, in case there's someone on the call that doesn't know, um, was established about 42 years ago. Um, And it was really kind of coming into the fore as the troubles in Northern Ireland were were starting to, to take root. Um, And we were there because we could see that communities needed some help and support. And we got our first grant from a government department to help start start kind of supporting communities. And we've grown since then. Um, We are um, an independent uh, uh, foundation. We belong to a network of other UK foundations, and in fact, a global network of foundations across the world, um, and really are involved in trying to support many different facets and issues within society today. Um, the challenges that we face, um, but say my particular area of work would be with, uh, within the peace building field. Um, and as Barry says, I'm also the secretary at two Foundations for Peace. Um, I'm pretty new to still Foundations for Peace, although after kind of a couple of years I'm not sure I can get away with that, but. And certainly in in comparison to Barry and and some of the other founding members, Avla and others, um, I still feel like I'm the new kid on the block, um, along with Rasha. But I'm really delighted to be here today and I'm looking forward to the conversation with Basma. The new kids on the block have given it a new life, I have to say. Thank you, um, uh, uh, Dawn and Rasha. Uh, Basma, would you like to briefly introduce yourself? Um, I think a lot of people will know who you are, but it's always good to hear your voice and tell us a bit about you.
1: Sure. Um, In a few words, I am a scholar by training or professionally, I continue to be a scholar uh, in parallel with uh, a commitment uh, for 30 years for the Palestinian cause, and then the last 10 years uh, on Syria. Uh, And uh, I have been told several times that I spend my life fighting for lost causes. But uh, the more I'm told that, uh, the more determined I think I grow. I uh, joined uh, as soon as the uh, uprising in Syria started. I joined the first coalition of the opposition uh, for a year. And then on and off, I was part of uh, the uh, sort of official or recognized opposition uh, negotiating team that goes to Geneva, um, uh, the body that represents the the opposition, etc. Thank you,
0: thank you Basma. Uh, so back to you Dawn to kick off this conversation. Thanks, so Basma I had the pleasure of listening to um, the kind of webinar series that, that Barry and others have been had convened that you were part of um, us through We Contain Multitudes and I was just really inspired by your kind of your journey and the story and the work that you've been doing, but um, what what motivated you to get involved in peace building and in particular uh, to get involved in, in in the conflict work with with Syria?
1: Ah, very obvious reasons, maybe or very uh, uh, basic reasons. I am a of Syrian origin. My family was. Uh, kind of ousted of Syria uh, when I was young. Uh, And so we spent uh, many decades in exile. Uh, And the day the uprising occurred, I just felt everything else became secondary. This became the most important thing uh, that I had to work on because it was, Uh, it was the meaning of my life. It sort of brought me back to why we left that country, why we actually lost the country because of dictatorship. And uh, there was a hope that the people would uh, sort of Uh, uh, claim back, they were claiming back their country and trying to uh, retake ownership of it. And so that was such a a, a big hope that I went for it immediately without asking myself, am I going for peace building, what am I doing? Uh, It wasn't about peace building, it was all about an uprising, a peaceful uprising in the beginning, fighting a dictatorship. Uh, you know It was a very easy cause to defend. Uh, everybody in the world thought, oh, here are these nice, uh, uh, peaceful, democratic uh, demonstrators who want uh, only democracy in their country. Uh, and so we were supported by the whole international community, not all, but most countries over 100 countries, and that gave us uh, you know, some sense of, yes, it is what, uh, what is happening is, is exactly what the world wants to see in this country. Uh, Syrians want to see it, but also the world will support it. So I went into it, and then uh, with the war, it became, oh, uh, we're in a war. Uh, and uh, how do we get out of it now? And so peace building became, this is about peace building. (laughs) It's actually peace building. So you sort of put a a label on the kind of work you are doing without quite uh, defining it that way. I wasn't in any peace building industry uh, as as many people have worked. I was involved really personally and emotionally and uh, on all levels.
0: What was some of the, over the last kind of few years, what have been some of the biggest challenges you felt you've been trying to overcome, I suppose, from not just from a kind of a political or conflict perspective, maybe some of those personal challenges when in the work that we do, we often, there can be that conflict between our emotions and and the kind of the fight for, for justice as well. What have been some of those challenges for you?
1: Um, I think... It's been several things. Um, one is um, uh, why can't we uh, uh, maybe maybe a sort of idealistic vision of uh, what this country is about. So I I was very um, reluctant to accept and admit that there were. Uh, sectarian divisions, that there was distrust between communities, that I, we all attributed, we attributed this just to the dictatorship. And to a very large extent, the dictatorship was in, in uh, responsible for that over the years, but the result was there. This was a divided uh, country. Socially, it was not a, a cohesive uh, society. And second, so Second, it was because I belonged to the uh, opposition. I was Uh, very disappointed with my own group because they were so divided, they argued so much. They really, uh, I felt they were, we, uh, all of us were not up to the level of the challenge that we were facing. We were facing a very, very t- uh, nasty dictatorship, which required unity and, and uh, cohesion and discipline and hard work and gaining the trust of, uh, of the people on the ground, as well as the international community, etc. So it was, I was very frustrated with my own book. I can add to that the fact that I was uh, at some point just the one woman in those official uh, leading positions of uh, of the opposition. I had a very hard time, it was a very hostile uh, uh, environment. Uh, I discovered how Uh, much it was important to uh, defend women's uh, participation, which is something I had never really worked on. I I never felt the urge to uh, engage on in women's issues. And the truth is, after several years of of working with the uh, opposition, which I found really disappointing, uh, I worked with a group of women to establish a a women's political movement, uh, which is thriving and is doing very well and is a source of great satisfaction. So uh, I I suddenly felt, okay, the, the woman in me needs to... Get satisfaction on that level because this is a long-term fight, irrespective of, of the rest. But um, I guess the the, the most frustrating uh, was um, the sort of uh, loss of the narrative uh, to the benefit of the uh, of the dictatorship, uh, which was. Uh, Uh, This is, uh, we thought, we said it's a peaceful uprising against dictatorship. It became uh, for the international community. Here's a war between two parties. But who are these two parties? Here's a, 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 a system, political system, a regime that holds a huge arsenal of weapons, including chemical weapons and very sophisticated weapons. Uh, that it is using against its own population, while uh, those uh, fighters on the other side, the rebels are, you know, lightly armed and more, but they did become more heavily armed over time because they were supported from outside by countries whose agendas I wasn't comfortable with. So it became a real, uh, the, the narrative became blurred and internationally, it was very difficult to, um, you know, to to redress, uh, rectify this uh, this sort of narrative, and say, hey, we, this is how it all started. You know very well why it was manipulated, and on that you can say, you know, uh, terrorists, terrorists came to Syria. Some of the Syrians joined these groups. Um, awful, ISIS was there. It became an international, global fight against ISIS, and we lost completely the, the narrative were we responsible yes probably partly but how nasty was this government it's a very nasty government with uh, so much more support than we thought uh, from other from certain countries so uh, we became the very very weak uh, party there and uh, but 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 I was always convinced that we had we held the moral high ground. So never mind if we were less uh, powerful. This was not a, a balance of military forces. It was in the first place a, a peaceful claim for uh, uh, democracy in our country. But the fact is that uh, that that uh, narrative was. Uh, um almost lost uh, and that was the most painful was to uh, to get the international community to get be interested in Syria uh, uh, for the right reasons not just because it became a source of uh, instability terrorism so you know get to the root causes and we felt and I felt no one was re- would was really willing to bother because getting to the root causes it, it is, so time-consuming for and painful
0: you
1: know, yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean i think um drawn in some of some of those things in the northern ireland context um it's not in the same level of conflict that you know that syria is is still in but um for us the the narrative is is just on getting to the root causes is one of still of the biggest issues that's still divided you know we can't agree the narrative as to why the, the trouble started or what was that kind of key point there's lots of things there's not just one thing and you know in a conversation that some of you were on last week and um, last thursday around we contain multitudes we even talked as well about the language and and how the language that we use has been so divisive um and in fact like you know Noah and the Ark might have thing had things two by twos and so do we within Northern Ireland you know we have two you know two different types of education systems we usually have in each community we have two of everything from healthcare to uh, leisure services you know um where people feel safe staying and, and commuting within their their own kind of area and 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 uh, kind of space um and that space itself being contested in so many ways um, I was also listening to what you were saying around um, being um generally the kind of the only female in a, in a very male dominated space which must be really difficult because the challenge and the pressure that's on you then and then trying to advocate and bring forward other other females and and I certainly knew that from my perspective I I would struggle with that and be a little bit lonely at times and And even just as as recent as last year, I was at a a conversation at a table with talking about a range of peace building issues and legacy issues. And I was the only female in the room. And, you know, you kind of still thinking at that point in 2020, this is crazy. How can I be the only female in this room? You know, and it's trying to break down and change those attitudes and um, and that mindset and, and try to you know to, to bring forward the other perspectives into the rooms. How how have you tried to overcome some of that?
1: Ah, as I said, I, I, I lost uh, hope in uh, working from inside the, that opposition body. And uh, I, I would add, uh, we, so we established the women's political movement, and I understood, I drew the lessons, the hard lessons, hardly learned. Uh, uh, learned the hard way about that, Uh, that, uh, you know, on my own, however smart I was, I wasn't going to make it. They would not, they would continue to dismiss me as soon as they could, because After all, these are positions of power. That's how they saw them. They didn't see the responsibilities we had. They saw that this was a position of power because, of course, six months later, three months later, we were going to be in Damascus and governing the country. So that was the the, the thinking. So I was in that position, and they could dismiss me because I didn't have the backing. I wasn't part of a political party. I wasn't part of a group. And so I thought, you know, there is no collective not going to make it i cannot make it and no individual there is no individual success it has to be a collective success and it has to be a collective strategy since i'm not able to do it with these men i'm going to go and establish with the women that other track it's not influencing directly yes it is starting to influence directly the process because and i take one example that i want to ask you because i have a lot of questions (laughs) for you dot but just to say this you know the the in these countries where you don't have a um, you know a political uh, you don't have a democratic life you don't have democratic space uh, no place for political parties to grow political parties don't represent society. They are just fictitious. There's a few people in a group and they have a name and that's it. Uh, the, the real people are not represented. So in fact, what you, what we, everyone realized was that so the, these were fictitious indeed that the, when you ask the people on the ground, they're not interested in being, they, they want to see these faces and they don't think that they represent them. And therefore you need to break that monopoly. And, and I think we have, over the years, uh, brought this uh, uh, sense of these are not the Syrians that can really make a difference. Uh, the real Syrians on the ground need to be brought, but, but it was very difficult to be represented. Now, we had a, some success at the local level, and that's why I'm very interested in hearing from you. If there was a tradition of a community uh, of, you know, of of, of a community level uh, organization, structuring, um, you know, elections, councils, uh, whatever bodies were there at the community level. Because I know that this is a very... Uh, a specific feature of of um, of Irish society, and uh, and I'm trying to see why is it like this? How long has it been this way? Is it the conflict that also made it happen, etc. So I'm very interested in hearing that, and of course how you uh, got into this kind of work, as opposed to you know other levels of 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 work. So over to you. Um. So
0: how did I get involved in it? In some ways, I think I just stumbled upon it. It felt a bit like that. Um, Just whenever I had uh, graduated from university and um, realised that I had a degree that was fairly broad and um, general. And I was thinking, what is it that I really want to do? And my first job was actually with an organization that specialized in providing grants that had we had got under European funds, the very first peace, peace programs that came into Northern Ireland. Um, and I, I'd always had a sense and a passion for justice. And really then as that kind of grew into that, that role and found out a little bit more about the work. And also, you know, um, understanding some of the some of the wider issues and what what happened in communities that were different from my own and hearing different stories and narratives and actually being able to understand why some things have happened or why people have done what they've done and um, because for them there was a there was a war there was a struggle there was um there there was that conflict going on and um and for, for them some of them were fighting for for their for their community, very community and, and that happened to be that could be fighting against others within their community, those with out, outside of their community um, uh, you know state agencies and uh, the police. it was just you know it was widespread issues of social injustices and discriminations. Um, and I really felt that I could help to play a part in perhaps making a small difference through the funding that we were able to to allocate, Um, and it grew from there. And and since then, I've just become more and more passionate about trying to support particularly working class communities that always uh, feel the brunt of the deficits within policies, the the poverty that exists, uh, and the discrimination that's there. Um, and the deprivation that they, they face and, and how all of those are exacerbated as well through, through the, the conflict that has been going on in Northern Ireland for some time. And whilst we're 23 years on since the signing off, the Belfast or Good Friday Agreement, um, which for me wasn't really a peace accord, but a political agreement that has led to cessation of violence. Um, uh, that there's still huge issues that divide us as it said at the beginning. Um, today, uh, and even after this call, um, I've got a whole lot of other conversations to try and have to raise awareness of the tensions and the issues that are there at the moment and how fragile the peace is, because it's something that, um, whilst you've had relative, relative stability and there hasn't been the same violence that we would have associated with the height of the troubles, um, if you scratch below the surface, it won't be long in coming up. And at the moment we're facing probably in Northern Ireland, the most difficult period that we have in the last 15 to 20 years. And I fear that in the next few months, we will see again the violence that we saw at Easter, but on a wider scale and for a longer period. Um, And so, there's a frustration that 23 years on, you think that we should be further ahead than, than what we are. Yet at the same time, for some communities, they feel the hurt and the pain and the injustices today as strongly as they did 20, 30 or 40 years ago. So really think that it's about trying to provide that support to, to help communities. Well, it's also challenging the structural issues that have led to some of the problems that we face as well. So using the influence that we have in the community foundation to really um, address some policy deficits, to address the weaknesses in policy that's created by those that often don't or haven't visited the very kind of people in communities that they think that their policy is trying to support.
1: They they actually don't understand the issues, I agree. The thing is, are these people, do you encounter among the communities the sense of despair. Do you lose hope at some points? Do you feel you're you're in a stalemate? Uh, it is not making progress. It's actually regressing. Uh, uh, and is anyone listening? Is anyone understanding what is going on? Is that is that a something that that happens to you, or do you, do you sometimes say, "Oh, why do I work in this business? Can't I go and work in something else?" <laughs>
0: Sometimes you think it would be easier to say, yeah, when somebody asks you, tell me, what do you do? And you think, I can't really explain this in a very short, in a short sentence. So sometimes it would be nice to say I did something else, but I could never get away from the, I suppose that the feeling that I have of, if you can help, then you should help, you know, and, and that's really what, what drives me. And And at the minute, I suppose there is a little bit of sadness that um, the tensions are as high and as bad um, today in comparison to what they have been in the past but it also drives me on because I think well if I could have a conversation with this person we can connect here we can bring this these people together we could do this there's always a way that we can try to help support to minimize those tensions you know um to help others and create the space for them to have the conversations that they need to have because we're just trying to enable, you know, and and to provide that support. There are those that are right at the front line, um, those grassroots activists, those first responders whenever we're in a crisis, the backbone of our communities, they're the ones that need the help and support. And so really, I suppose it's just trying to facilitate that as best we can.
1: John, can I ask you one point in which I have also uh, uh, gone through, which is uh, you have a set of values and you are looking for, you know, the democratic safe spaces, human security, peace, uh, and and the sort of values that you want to instill in communities. But do you encounter the actual um, uh, reverse, which is people who are, uh, you know, um, entrenched in their identity uh, positions and attitudes. Uh, uh, you, want to see, you would like to see them differently, but, th- but that's how they are and you still are working with them. Obviously, you might not give a grant to one and to, you might give it to another, but, but still you are confronted to, these, to this real population on the ground, not necessarily politicized and fully aware of, of all the meanings of that political agreement and so on, but just, you know, they the don't necessarily carry your values. So how, how do you work with that? <laughs> You're absolutely
0: right. There are there are organisations and groups that that we're in, that we're working with that are still very opposed to to the um to the peace agreements. Um, that still feel that conflict is the way to achieve their objectives, and that are are have very clear path as to how they think that that should how they, their voice should be expressed or heard. And for me, it is particularly those hard hardline uh, organizations and individuals that are even more important to engage with, because if we isolate them and alienate them from our discussion around transition and development and transformation, then we're not bringing all of society along with us. And so we're just storing up the problems for future generations. Um, So for me, uh, those organizations are a real part of our strategy around um, peace building and conflict resolution and transformation within Northern Ireland. And we will support work that helps uh, helps organizations and individuals to have the discussions, particularly with those that are most opposed to the conflict to try and understand where they're coming from and to help them articulate what their ideology is. But to do that articulation and expression in a peaceful way um, and through and encouraging and through where they can through a democratic process but in the first instance it's it's building that engagement and and then kind of working up the the relationship from there but I just firmly believe and part of the problem that we're in at the moment is, is because we have political uh political parties that that are are promoting an agenda of exclusion, as opposed to inclusion. And they're excluding those voices that would be most on the hard line. And as a result, that is just feeding the tensions that are there. And it's not moving us forward, it's it's, it's pulling us back. Um, And it's frustrating that it feels like for some of those political parties that I feel that they haven't really learned the lessons of, of the last 40 years because that's, that part of that is, is what has got us uh, into the, the difficulties that we did. You can't, you can't achieve peace if you exclude those voices that are most on the margins.